When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering. So please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. I am here again with 10 of your questions. But how are you doing? Just checking in first. How's your day going? Mine, I've honestly just been a little bit tired and a little run down this week. I mean, I'm fine. Like, I don't. I don't have COVID or anything. I haven't seen anybody. I don't know how that would possibly happen. I haven't left my apartment in any real way other than to walk with just Sean since before Thanksgiving. So you guys, don't worry. Um, but I think I'm just a little tired. You know, it happens. This year slash two years has been stressful. And I only say two years because we're going in 2021 and nothing's different. So um, yeah, but how's it going? Are you doing some things to take care of yourself? Like I'm going to try to go to bed again early tonight and then hopefully tomorrow I feel back to normal. But um, yeah, just a little tired today. And that happens, right? We're all human. We have ups and downs and all arounds. But without further ado, let's get into those questions. Oh, if you are wondering where I get these questions for, I know I say this every week, but I just say it so that you know it's on the community tab of the Opinions That Don't Matter YouTube channel, which is the YouTube channel that houses uh, the two podcasts that I have. One is with my husband, Sean, called Opinions That Don't Matter, hence the name. And then this one, Ask Katie Anything. And it's on that community tab that you can ask on Mondays. It goes up asking for your questions. You can ask as soon as you know you get that in- that notification, if they send out notifications. I don't know. You can check, put your questions in there. The ones with the most thumbs up are the ones that get chosen. Okay. Question number one says, hey, Katie, how long does it take for you to read your client's mood if they don't say anything? Can you see if they're struggling a lot or is it harder to see? I always wonder what techniques a therapist uses to adjust to each client's situation. I mean, it depends. A lot of it depends on how well I know that client. Like how long have I been seeing this person? Because if I've been seeing them for a long time, let's say six months, eight months, a year, I'm going to notice right away. Um, usually I can tell about their energy level. Like you guys might even feel that way. Just consider how you are with me, right? A lot of you watch a ton of my content because I have like 1200 or 1300 videos online. You can watch those videos. You get a feel for me and how I am. And then like today, I was just saying I'm a little more tired. You might feel that. You might have already noticed just in the way that I communicate. And the same goes for me with patience is I'll notice if they're maybe a little bit more disheveled or not as put together, or if it doesn't look like they've showered in a while, you know, if their hair is usually down and done and now it's in a ponytail, it looks a little greasy. Like there are a lot of different things that I might notice in person. Also, my anxious patients, if they tend to be a little bit more fidgety, or if they sit on the edge of the couch instead of relaxing into it, like <clears throat> there is so much when it comes to body language and just being a person that as a therapist, I can tell you, I notice right away. However, if this is a new patient, and I've only seen you a couple of times, let's say two, three, maybe four times, I may not have that baseline to draw from yet. And so it may take me a little bit longer to read your mood. However, once we get into the conversation, then I'm going to be able to tell like, what's really going on and how you're really doing. And then maybe at that point, I'm like, Oh, I think that they're um, sorry, something in my eyeball. I think that they're is something that they're struggling with, or maybe they're having a little bit tougher of a time today or something like that, then I'd be able to notice it. But it might just take me a little bit longer because I don't know you as well. And then um, the question says, can you see if they're struggling a lot or is it harder to see? Again, it depends. But usually within the first five or 10 minutes after a few questions, I can tell kind of where we're at and how you're doing, at least maybe not with 100% accuracy, but the very, uh, at the very least, I can tell that like, oh, they may be a little bit more down today or, oh, they seem to be a little bit more energetic and doing well. You know, I can tell those kinds of things if you're struggling or not, just that basic 
struggling yes no <laughs> check the box kind of thing I could be able to tell that right away um and then what techniques I use to adjust each client situation it really therapy is such an art and I don't I don't know if we have any other therapists out there in this space but I I hopefully you would agree with this I think being a therapist is is definitely an art form because there there are a lot of different things that I use depending on my client's situation what they're struggling with how they're doing all of that stuff and some of it may be if speech is difficult because uh, you weren't able to maybe tell me how you're doing or you aren't able to express what's going on, then maybe I we do more art together and I bring in, I am not an art therapist, so don't think, I thought about becoming one of those back when I was picking uh, master's programs, but ended up not. However, I do utilize a lot of coloring, drawing, collaging, maybe even just having you collage a feelings word as homework or, you know, there's a lot of different things that I will have you do. And I may utilize art if language is difficult because art is just another form of communication. Or if um, that doesn't work, then it might be music. And I, I can kind of cater things depending on what speaks to you and how you can communicate that best to me. I can use different tools. But the techniques that I utilize depend a lot on the goals that we have which are based on the struggles that you are encountering, whether that is a particular mental illness or it's, hey, my mom has been really difficult or, oh my God, I'm getting married and it's super stressful or, oh, I'm in school. And that's, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons that we can seek therapy and it's not all just because we have a mental illness. It could be for a lot of reasons. And so depending on that reason, I may use different interventions, we call them in the therapy space. So meaning different tools, techniques to get you to open up feel heard, understood, uh, offering resources, homework and things to get you thinking more and, and doing things in between session it will really just depend. And so depending on someone's level, if we're talking about struggling and not, if you aren't really able to participate that much in therapy, I might have other stuff for you to do outside of therapy that normally I'd want to do in therapy, but, but because we can't, we might try to do it outside of it because it might allow you to be more open for example, or if it's really hard for you to engage in therapy in any way, I might, number one, uh, try to get you to make a call and see a psychiatrist if you're open to that, like either in session if that's easier, or that would be a homework assignment to at least assess and see if you'd want to do that. And side note also, the homework that I would have wouldn't be so much along the lines of, you know, figuring out what your boundaries would be and maybe communicating that to one person or something. For example, instead, it might be, hey, I want you to shower twice this week. And I want you to record, you know, the meals that you ate these couple of days, just so we get an idea of how well you're feeding yourself and how much sleep you're getting and how often you're showering, like basic need stuff, we might go back to that and have these goals, according to those for our week and for our homework. Does that make sense? And then there was a follow up question below in the comments. And it says, um, as a follow-up, has this changed with video visits and not being able to see as much body language? Sorry, something's still in my eye. Um, yes, videos are not as good. And people also are not getting as dressed up a lot of the time and not doing makeup as much as they used to. Some people are, but a lot of my patients aren't. A lot of them are like, you know, they're just at home in pajamas and you were doing the, you know, the hangout or the hangout, the um, the session either in their car or in, you know, their, their room in the back or in a closet, even I've had some because I still have enough privacy, you know, so it has been a little bit difficult. And also I can only see usually from like the shoulders up at maximum. So I can't always tell if they're fidgeting or not. And that requires a lot more honesty on their part. And also it kind of forces me to ask more questions that maybe if we were in person, I wouldn't have to. And so with that in mind, as you can imagine, uh, video sessions or video calls, video video visits, as this person uh, called it, do not move as quickly, I don't think, as in-person sessions. And I really do believe that in-person is best. But video is good as well. It's not that it doesn't work. I just think sometimes because we're missing out on a lot of other things, we can't see you and I can't gather as much information from you because I'm not seeing as much of you, then it may slow down the process a little bit because I'm going to have to ask you if you've been feeling a little bit anxious, maybe before when I could have just read your body and been like, yes, they're very fidgety, sit on the edge of the couch. Clearly they're very anxious. I don't need to ask that obvious question. I might just say, so it seems like your anxiety is a little high today. Do you want to tell me about that? And it just cuts it, you know, cuts out that one chunk of conversation. And so those are my thoughts. And yeah, I hope that that helps. Hope that answers your question. Moving on to question number two. 
You always have such great questions, you guys. This one says, hi, Katie, how do you keep yourself from judgment toward your patients and us? You always say that nothing is weird and we can say anything to our therapist, but I don't, but don't you ever find things weird or stupid? Is our shame never in place? Isn't it human to have such judgment towards others? And do you train yourself not to look at them or us the way that, uh, that way, or do you simply not have them that way? I'm very curious what you have to say. Lots of love from Holland. This was a great question. And there's a couple of things. I think in general, being, uh, being a therapist means that people come to you when they're not doing well, right? People don't show up in my office and make an appointment because they're doing great and their life is like all on track and they're like 10 out of 10, right? That doesn't happen. People come to me when they feel terrible. That's how it is. And so therefore, in my mind, at the very least as a human, human to human, if you're already feeling like shit, why would I judge you for trying to get help? I wouldn't. Judgment doesn't really have a place there, right? I'm just glad that you reached out and I'm going to do my best to help you feel better. We're going to work together. We're going to figure this out. That's kind of the frame of mind I come from, which I believe just even in and of itself doesn't really leave any room for judgment. So I I just don't even feel that urge. However, I I will be honest that sometimes I'll have patients who frustrate me because they'll like lie and then I'll find something out because they've said something that just negates something they told me the week before or something like that. And I'll feel frustrated and I'll say, I don't feel like you're being honest. And I'm curious where that's coming from. But I don't even, frustrated might even be a strong word because it's nothing personal. I'm just like, I'm kind of curious about it. So I don't really, I guess the question is like, how do I do it? I think it's because I really seek to help and I want to understand and judgment does not leave room for that judgment, you know, only assumes and uh, I don't know, takes in usually the smallest amount of information tries to turn it into something that's not. And that's not the goal of it. That's like not therapy at all. Therapy is like me not making any assumptions, letting you teach me about your experience and us moving toward your goals together. And that doesn't, yeah, I just feel like it just doesn't fit. Like, I think that's how I just don't do it because it just doesn't fit. And I don't judge any of you either, because if you've taken the time to get online, to find my content, to, to figure out where to leave a comment or, you know, like to leave a question for the live stream or the podcast or whatever, why would I judge that either? In the same way that I wouldn't judge it in a session, you're trying to get under like some resources, some understanding and some support. Kudos to you, you know, it's like, fuck, yeah, you've reached out, you're speaking about it. That's awesome. And so I really think that I don't really think things are weird or stupid. Honestly, it helps me understand you and other people more and more. And like recently I did a video on TikTok about hypersexuality and I've done videos on YouTube about this too, as a result of sexual abuse. And I think so many people don't want to talk about this because they think it's so taboo or, or wrong or too bad to talk about. I even had someone leave a comment saying something about like, you're acting like this is this is okay and right. And I didn't comment back because this person was like a troll. You know, they were just like trying to bait me and already shit talking me, which is fine. That's the internet. But if they weren't a troll, if it was just someone saying, is this good or bad? I would say it's all okay because you're just trying to cope, but we really need to heal from the abuse so that we can better understand this coping skill we put in place so that then we can make a decision as to whether or not it serves us and deserves to be in our life. And that's really the truth. That person was being judgmental by even leaving that comment, but they clearly weren't living in a very healthy headspace. And so I guess it's just that I think compassion and empathy snuff out judgment. So I don't actually think any I might weird is an interesting word because there are things I haven't heard before. And I might tell a patient, if appropriate, but usually it's not to say, oh, I haven't dealt with that before. You know, sometimes I will if I have a new patient coming in who's trying to deal with something specific and they want to know, hey, have you dealt with insert thing? And I'm like, you know, actually I haven't. I've heard about it. You know, I'm, I'm happy to do some research for you and be, be well equipped. I'll let you know if I don't think I'm a good fit, you know, blah, blah. But yeah, still, it's just like they're seeking help and I'm here to help and doesn't really. Yeah. And stupid. I mean, people do stupid things all the time. I do stupid things all the time. But yeah, I think it's just the compassion and the empathy and the, you know, wanting to help doesn't leave room for judgment. So the question is, our shame never in place? 
I don't believe shame should exist. I understand why it does that we think something's wrong with us that we have we are broken in some way because life has kind of told us that through, you know, people who are bad actors in the space, whether they're abusers, or manipulators, or just people in our life who make us feel terrible. Those are all just, of course, then we think something's wrong with us. Why do I keep having this happen to me? Why Why do I keep running into these people? Right? We honestly, we already like, it's a very knee jerk reaction for us to make it about ourselves. And so shame exists because of that. But I believe it is always false. And there's always a greater understanding and compassion that we can offer to ourselves. So that, that will go away. And so I don't believe shame ever needs to exist. But I understand it. Does that make sense? I hope that that makes sense. And then isn't it human to have such judgments toward others? Yeah, but it's just different when it's therapy. I might judge and this sounds you guys can judge me. <laughs> but I could totally judge a friend of mine who let's say was in a very toxic relationship and decided to go back. I could be like, Oh, you're, you know, in my head, I probably wouldn't say it out loud. because someone I know that doesn't help anybody. But I could judge in my head and be like, you're being so stupid. Why are you doing that? You know, but in therapy, it's different because you're coming to me for help. And instead of me saying, Ugh, why are you doing that? You're so stupid. Instead, I'm like, I'm curious what helped you make that decision. I want to better understand that because that's all helpful information. And the thing that I think a lot of people have a tough time understanding is that a therapist isn't a therapist all the time. Like when I interact with my girlfriends, like I could judge them or they could judge me and we could, you know, judge someone's another situation online. Like, oh, this person took a trip to Tahiti. Don't they know we have a pandemic? And I'm judging them, right? But in session, it's just different. And I hope that that kind of helps you understand. And maybe that's why it's hard for you to comprehend, right? A lot of things, if we can't experience it personally, we can't fully understand. It's like, you know, the idea that I was just watching the Night Stalker. I don't recommend it on Netflix. Super terrifying. Gave me nightmares. Um, But it's hard for people to understand when people don't have empathy for other humans. We can't comprehend it because, because we have it, right? How can I imagine not having something that I've always had? We can't. It's impossible. It's like, it's like a mind fuck. You're like, wait, but they don't, how, you know, and and so, and we like want to fix them or think that, oh, you know, we can care enough to make them feel better. I don't know. I don't know. So, um, it can be really tricky, but I think it's just that being in that space is what makes it different. And then, yeah, I guess that's really it. So I don't, it is human to have judgment toward others. No judgment about that. But in therapy, it just doesn't have a place because therapy should be run with like, you know, seeking to understand, not making assumptions and leading with compassion. Let's move on to question number three. It says, hi, Katie, why do I sometimes fantasize about horrible things happening to me? This was a very interesting question. And also your comments were very interesting to me. So thank you for those of you who left comments below this. It says, sometimes I fantasize or almost wish something awful would happen to me. I have a friend who does this too. For example, a car accident or an assault. I have no idea why I do this. And logically, I know that I would not want any of those things to happen. But a part of me almost finds comfort in playing out those scenarios in my head. When I admit it out loud as I write this, it sounds awful. And I'm almost ashamed and embarrassed that I have these thoughts. But when I'm imagining the scenario, I find it comforting. I fell asleep last night playing out an awful scenario in my head and imagining my parents' reactions and my therapist's reactions, etc. That's very interesting. And when I woke this morning, I was almost angry at myself. I don't understand it. Have you ever had a client experience this or do you have any thoughts on where it stems from? I have had one, maybe two patients. One came to mind right away, but I'd have to really dig into my brain um, to think of others. So it happens. And the comments and the likes on this tells me that it is way, way, way more common than we realize, which is what's great about our community, right? We get to learn from one another and also not feel alone and, or like we're, we should be ashamed or embarrassed. This is something that a lot of people are dealing with, right? And the comments were great. It's like, sometimes it's like you guys read my minds and other times it's, it's so helpful. There was one comment that I was like, I hadn't thought about that. And so that was really helpful. And that's why I say thank you guys so much for sharing your insight because I learned too, right? I can only read so many books and see so many patients. Being able to learn from you makes me a better therapist and a better person, I think. So, so thank you. But one of the comments was what my thought first went to, which was that sometimes we like to be able to play these things out so that if something did happen, we feel prepared. This can come out of anxiety or OCD. And some of my patients, even with depression, do it, but more so the anxiety-driven disorders. We can find ourselves wanting to play these things out so that we're prepared, right? Like I love to be prepared, you know, queen of preparedness over here, like planning and like organization. If you find yourself in that 
kind of avenue, that might be why this is happening. Because then you feel like at least you're planning and preparing for something bad so that you know what to do when it happens. Okay. Then the second thing, and there was another comment that I'll get into next, but the thing, the second thing that came to my mind, even as I read this again, is like how you said that you uh, thought about, you said, imagine your parents' reactions and your therapist's reactions, et cetera. And you felt it found this comforting is what you're telling me, right? Part of me wonders about maybe a little bit of attachment, but also just support and comfort when we need it. When we can imagine something bad happening to us and we're wanting to see how those, it's almost like 13 Reasons Why. And part of the reason why I hated that uh, television show was the fact that they, we got to see, I don't know why they did it this way, but we got to see like people miss her and be sad. And we got to see the bad things that happened and almost like validate her suicidal ideations. And in in the end, her actual, uh, the actual taking of her own life. But it was with the, they showed these things like as if she would get to see people miss her and be sad about things and, and, and want to apologize and have this remorse, right? This love, this remorse, this compassion. And, you know, if you take your own life, you don't get to see any of that. You don't get to experience any of that love. And part of me wonders if it comes out of that, that like, I just want to see, I want to feel love. Maybe we're not getting enough attention and support. And so we can imagine, we want to imagine the reactions of the people who were wanting to get that love and support from. Now, I know when I say attention, people think, oh, you know, doing it for attention. It's a human condition, you guys, to, to want and need attention. We all need to feel seen, heard, loved and cared for. It's just part of being human. There's nothing wrong with that. I really don't like that we've uh, in some way turned attention into a dirty word. It's a very healthy, normal human reaction. And so needing that attention could be the reason that we're fantasizing about this because even just the thought of a fantasy is like, we we want to know what people would say. It's like, a, what was, I'm going to forget then. It was like something with Maury, Tuesdays with Maury, that book. I don't know if anybody's read that amazing book. And, and I think I'm saying it right. It could be the wrong name, but I think that's what it is. Anyway, I read it in college, so it's been a while. But he has his funeral before he's dead because he has a terminal illness. And so he wants everybody to come over and say nice things about him. He's like, why should I wait till I'm dead for that? And I really loved that because part of us needs that. We we want to know what, that people would miss us and they would care for us. And if something terrible happened to us, that people would feel horrible for us and want to support and love us and give us extra attention because we all need that. And so maybe it's part of that, that like just needing that extra love and support and attention and maybe our needs aren't getting met regularly. So that could be why. And then the third and the another comment that was really great and helpful for me to hear was, and I hadn't even thought of this, you guys, this is why you're all so amazing and wonderful, is that maybe we feel like our traumas aren't as intense as they we feel like they should be in order for us to have PTSD or have, you know, have been traumatized. And I know that that's very true. I hear from all of you all the time, like, well, does this count? And I feel like I'm not, you know, it doesn't warrant it. Or it's like, I'm not sick enough. We always have that like invalidation of our experience and of what happened to us. And so we downplay it, right? And minimize. And by fantasizing that these things happen, maybe in our mind, we're like, well, then this happened. And now I understand. And like, then if that happened, then I could really have trauma. I could really have PTSD. I could really be traumatized. I would feel like that, you know, diagnosis fit me or that I'm worthy of getting help. That could be part of it too. So there are a lot of different reasons that this could happen, but those are the three that really came to my mind. And thank you for the person who left or everybody who left those comments. That was really helpful. And it helped me kind of learn the thought process behind it. But again, I just want to reiterate, we all need love and attention. We all need support. There's nothing bad about that. That doesn't make us a bad person. But be curious about it yourself. See if any of little, maybe little bits of each of the things I've said resonated with you, write that down. Help, you know, you're the one that gets to be a detective about your experience. So tell me, you know, tell me about it. Let's learn. Let's be curious. Be a detective. Figure that out. Okay, moving on to question number four. I'm going to have some chapstick and some water. And we're going to jump into it. It says, hi, Katie. I was wondering if you got any tips on staying motivated. Ugh, 
It's hard. Recently, I've been having trouble getting things done, such as schoolwork and the other necessary tasks throughout the day. Did you guys hear? I was, and this was on the news, so haven't checked the statistics, the facts, but they said over 50% of students last year from grade, uh, I don't even know if it's kindergarten, because I don't think you get grades in kindergarten, but let's say third grade to senior year to 12, grade 12, failed a class because they're not in person. So that was really devastating for me to hear. Okay. It says, I've always been a straight A student in the past, but recently I found myself so unmotivated that I can't seem to get anything done and my grades are really suffering. All I want to do is watch Netflix and YouTube, eat a lot and go back to sleep every day. Is this just laziness? Is there something I can do to snap myself out of this weird slump? Please help. Thanks, Katie. And somebody left a comment that I just wanted to read right away because it's exactly where my brain went. And they said, this sounds like depression. And someone above, so a comment above this mentioned pandemic burnout. How can we tell the difference? Is there a difference? So my brain automatically went to depression. It's the therapist in me. When we feel unmotivated, so much so that it's like, all we want to do is sleep a lot, like changes in sleep and appetite, because you said eat a lot and sleep a lot. Those are two indicators of depression. Now, the main two diagnostic criteria, again, the DSM is not the end all be all, but just to throw it out there. And if my memory serves me, the two diagnostic criteria that have to be met in depression are that we don't enjoy the things we used to do. Like we have what's called, uh, you know, it's uh, anhedonia, I think is the word. And it's pretty much like all the things I used to love. Let's say I used to love music or I used to love going for a walk or I used to love uh, cooking, baking. I don't know. None of those things sound good to me anymore. I don't enjoy them. And even doing them feels like a task. So I don't find myself wanting to do them anymore. If we have that as well as just an overall feeling of just not like depressed mood, not feeling good down for at least two weeks for most days, you know, all day, most days for two weeks. And then there's also like the appetite changes and all that. And then the rest of the diagnoses, if we have those two things, it could be depression. And this kind of sounds like maybe it is. But then there is the idea and the, I don't want to downplay pandemic burnout. And I've talked about this on news outlets and different, uh, and different panels and things I've been on this year. And I don't think, even though we're talking about it, I don't think we fully, it's not understand, but I don't think we fully accept is probably the right word. How much this pandemic is affecting us. I know there's tons of memes and I share those too, because if we don't laugh and if we don't look at a meme of Bernie Sanders sitting, you know, with this could have been an email, it's hilarious, right? And we have to laugh about our weird world and the fact that people are wearing masks. We don't see faces anymore. I don't get on planes at least twice a month like I used to. I don't get to see all of you and meet you at events. And I miss that. And I'm sad about that. I don't get to see my family in Canada or my family in Washington. It's been pretty sucky. Sean and I love to go out to eat. I miss our waiters and bartenders and the people we chitty chatted with. Ugh. And my friends. I miss my friends. Anyway, I could go on and on. And But I think it's too easy to just shrug that off, to be like, well, I'm just overreacting and like, I'm not a frontline worker. And, you know, I talked about this in a video back, honestly, you guys, it feels like eons ago. And I think it was like maybe last May. Maybe, I don't know, it was my first video where I just kind of, I cried on camera and I apologize, but it was me just sharing the fact that like, I don't even know what to do with this. Like, how do I deal with the pandemic? And I feel like I don't have a right to be sad and because I'm not at risk and I'm not in the hospital and no one I love has been, you know, killed by COVID-19. So in a way it's like I'm minimizing my own experience. And I know, like I've told you guys, just because I'm a therapist doesn't mean that I always do better. It just means I know better. So even as I have a thought process, I'm like, well, you have a right to be upset too, Katie, like just because, you know, you can't compare your pain and suffering to someone else's. It's not pie. It's not like there's only a certain amount to go around, um, unfortunately. But I think that we need to not dismiss like this pandemic burnout as easily as we do. And I think the way to tell the difference, honestly, is if we've never had trouble with this before, and it's happening now. And I don't mean that this is not depression, because I do think pandemic burnout is just another word for anxiety that came on as a result of the pandemic, or depression that came on as a result of the pandemic, or, you know, any other things as a result of the pandemic, because the symptoms are all there. And we're still having a tough time. But it's very situational, which is good, but also not good, because the pandemic seems to just be going on and on endlessly. And 
and it's fucking depressing, right? I feel that. And I've been anxious. I've been tr- having a tough time sleeping lately too. And just, ugh, which might be why I'm just a little run down, feeling a little tired. My body's like, we can't run on high all the time, Katie. We're out of adrenaline. Um, so anyways, I know that this is probably not a very good answer and I'm sorry. It's just my thoughts, but it's not laziness. Laziness is, is I'm tired. I don't want to do that today. So I'm not going to do it today. And then the next day we, our mood changes and we do it right. Or laziness is like, there's always those things that nobody wants to do, but you end up doing them anyway, or somebody does them and right. We push through it and we can do it. But when you feel like there's so many changes, you're wanting to, your grades are slipping. All you want to do is watch Netflix and YouTube. You've been eating more than normal. You wanting to sleep more than normal. Those are all big changes. So I would say that it is probably depression. And I think the way to help us stay motivated or to continue to be motivated is first and foremost, and something that I recently haven't been doing a very good job of, which might be also why I've been feeling like shit, is letting yourself cry about it being sad, mad, whatever, grieving 2020 slash 2021. It's fucking depressing. You guys, I feel you. Um, let yourself feel that. I know you're like Katie, but I already feel bad. No, no, no. You're numbing out with food, sleep, television, YouTube. Let's instead try to actually tap into what's going on. What are we mad about? What are we sad about? Why is it that I want to shout at people online? Maybe because I don't feel happy about who I am right now and what's going on. That's okay. What are the things you missed? What are the things that didn't happen because of this? It's okay. Let's think about that. Let's be sad about that. And then we have to move through it. So making time regularly, like probably once a week, maybe more, but probably once a week for at least 20 minutes, let yourself cry, grieve, be angry, throw a tantrum, whatever you need to do. And then we need to balance our thoughts. Right now, because there's this constant threat that we feel with COVID-19, we're in this constant fight flight response, which is when our you know, our system activates us for action, but there's no action we can take. And we're told to stay home. So here we are, and it's freezing outside. So people are inside. And it's like, how, you know, we got to shake out that anxiety, we got to move our bodies. And then our thoughts, instead of letting them fall into the pit of despair, this is never going to get over, this is gonna be terrible. No one's getting the vaccine. Oh, my God, it's not distributing right, blah, 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 blah. There's these new strains, blah, 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 blah. All those thoughts. I want you instead to have a more balanced one. We need to challenge those negative, unmotivated, pulling us into depression-like thoughts. So when the thoughts are, this is never going to get better, or I'm just so lazy and stupid, I'm never going to do this. Uh -uh 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 -uh." I don't want you letting those thoughts live rent-free in your brain. Challenge them. Instead of letting them hang out and having more thoughts and feelings about those thoughts and feelings, let's instead stop and say, no, you know what? I'm going to write down that negative thought and I'm going to try to come up with a a bridge statement or a more balanced version of it. Meaning instead of having that thought that I'm just so fucking lazy and I'm never going to get this done and I'm going to fail out of school. Let's say that's a thought because, you know, we've all had thoughts like that. Then a more balanced one would be like, it is possible that this week has just been super sucky or this year has just been super sucky and I'm having a tough time. It's possible. That's more balanced. Is it positive? No. We Can we think positively immediately? No. We're not going to believe it. And that's just bullshit. That's that toxic positivity where it's like, got to just think positive. If you just showered and smiled, you'd feel better. Yeah, try it. If you had depression, it doesn't work. Shut up. So instead, we need to be more balanced about it and think, you know, it is possible that things could get better. I, I'm hopeful that they will. And I also recognize that right now it's just not that good. That's more balance. We don't need to shit talk ourselves and judge ourselves. We just need to be a little bit more balanced about what's going on. And that will hopefully help shift you and move your brain in a more positive direction, which will hopefully help you feel more motivated and better. But I do also want to throw out there that if you are feeling depressed, if any of you out there are feeling depressed, there is no shame in starting therapy, getting on medication for it. Even if it's short term, if it's like a year, six months, you know, follow your doctor's orders in the prescription, like titrating up, titrating down. But we all need a little extra help right now. And whatever that looks like for you, whether, you know, therapy, medication, both preferably, that can really, really help too. Um, And that could pull you out and help you feel better. But then another thing too, before I move on to the next question, my last word of advice would be 
to shorten your to-do list into small things, like did I get up and did I shower? Those should be two checkboxes. So we start to feel more motivated by what we're accomplishing instead of looking at this huge list of all the shit we didn't do and feeling like we're more and more behind. I would encourage you to be honest with your teachers about the fact that you're really having a hard time. Everybody is, they should be understanding and maybe they'll give you more time for things. But Try to make our lists no longer than seven things that you can accomplish in one day. Make them small, easy to do's, and you'll slowly work your way through it. And then reward yourself. I reward myself when I'm feeling really like burnt out. I'll be like, okay, if you answer three emails, then you can watch 20 minutes of NCIS, which has been my favorite show right now, you know, or whatever yours is. Uh, then you can watch two YouTube videos, you know, and then come back and then do a few more things and then reward yourself with that. Um, I do things like that and that maybe could help too. Okay, moving on to question number five. It says, hey, Katie, do you have any tips with figuring out sexuality? I thought I was fairly certain that I'm straight. However, I constantly want to be around my female best friend and prefer spending time with her than with my boyfriend. I also admire girls, but I don't know whether that's because I want to be with them or be like them. Do you have any advice to help determine what I actually want? Thanks for all you do. Of course, this, unfortunately, this kind of a question is something that you're going to have to be curious about on your own. Now, my advice would be to, because I think so often, I don't know if you guys know, but a lot of people will say part of the LGBTQIA community, right? Or they'll just say LGBTQ plus. What's that Q stand for? Questioning. I think it's healthy for everyone to question their sexuality. I think it's a very healthy space to be in where you you're open to the, the thought that maybe I'm interested in people of, you know, the same uh, sex as me or not or whatever, right? This is something that it's okay to just wonder and be curious. And I would encourage you to feel like it's safe for you to do so I would encourage you to journal about it, you know, making sure that no one would find it if you would be devastated for someone to read this or like your boyfriend, for instance, to find it. But I think writing about like, what would you could you imagine yourself making out with that friend that you want to be around? Or would you really like to take them on a date or hold their hand or or hug them close for a long time? Like, what is it that you're thinking? Or because you said you don't know if you want to be with them or be like them. Let's run down all these pathways. Like in in cognitive behavioral therapy, we, we use this term called playing it out. And in a way, I kind of want you to play these out to the end in your head. It's okay to uh, imagine that we're doing something. It's also okay to talk to, you know, there are a lot of LGBT plus communities online that you can interact with. And how did they know? You can read Reddit threads. I'd encourage you just to be curious see what you feel and think about it and also know that that can change. It's okay to be questioning. It's okay for all of us to kind of live in that cue space for as long as we need to. And so I think understanding if you are attracted to your boyfriend in a sexual way and you, you know, want to make out with him, you know, maybe have sex with him, hug him, kiss him, whatever it is that you're comfortable doing. Is that what we like want to do? And we get really excited about it. Do we feel that way about girls too? Do we think we might be bisexual? Like it's okay to just be curious and allow ourselves to, to go down those little uh, imaginary roads to see where it leads us. Because I will be honest, as someone who is, you know, a straight cisgendered female, like, I know that I am, am straight. And like, that's because even as I've gotten older, I've even questioned it and, and thought about it more. And I know that my love for my female friends is completely platonic because I can't imagine, like I'm not romantically or sexually attracted to them in any way. It's not, there's no romance, there's no enjoyment in that relationship in that way. But I had to, You sometimes you have to think about it and I encourage everyone to think about it. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't know why we feel the need to decide on the box that we fit in and that's the only box we can ever be in and we can't question. It's okay. Just allow yourself to think about it, write about it, imagine and then, you know, know that you're my, you can also change your mind. I don't know why people feel like once you decided this, then it's only that because that's just not how life is. We all change and grow and develop and our preferences can change. We just have to make sure that we are communicating that to people who could be hurt by that. Like, for instance, your boyfriend, if you think that you are gay and you are interested in women, it might behoove you to tell him and end the relationship in as nice of a way as possible, you know, because if we're not interested, we're not interested. But it's okay to question, be curious, you know, think about it, 
journal about it. No one can tell you what you are except for you. So just allow yourself to think about it and, and enjoy the process. I think that's the problem I've heard from some of my friends who didn't uh, come out until much later in life. I even had one of my closer friends, his father come out as gay at the age of 56 and leave their family. It was this devastating upheaval of his life. But to his dad, he felt like now I have to make up for lost time. Like he felt like he never got that opportunity to like be curious about his sexuality and date some people. And you know what I mean? All the things that we do usually in our teens and early twenties, he was doing in his late fifties, early sixties. And so I only say that because we should all be encouraged to be curious and to figure out what's best for us and know that we can change and we, we can, you know, make choices that are the best for us. But we also have to consider other people and communicating that and being clear about it because that's just healthy relationships. And that's just clear communication. And I could ramble about this forever. But I hope that that helps. Um, and know that you don't have to determine what you want right now. It's also okay to just be wondering. But considering being in a relationship with someone in a romantic way will, in my experience, tell you what kind of it guides you towards what you're what you enjoy most really um and knowing that you know it could be both right okay i hope that helps i hope that that's informational enough don't let anybody tell you that you have to decide or you have to know right away it's okay to just be curious question number six says hi katie i have a curious question the best kind why do you always use we when explaining something? For example, you say things like when we are traumatized or when we suffer from BPD or when we feel abandoned, etc. instead of people who are traumatized or people who feel abandoned. I noticed my therapist does the same and I found it curious because I haven't heard other people using the same structure. Can you explain the reason? Is it to make us feel like we're not alone in what we feel? Thank you. There's a lot of reasons I do this. And it's funny, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but back in the day, and some people commented this, like I listened to a video of hers back in the day where she talked about it. The reason I use we is like, there's tons of reasons, but the number one is to say you or people who feels very judgmental to me. Now that's my personal choice. I don't like that. I don't like the way it sounds. It sounds like I'm better than you, like you who have blah, 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 or people with, you know, this insert other mental illness have to struggle with. It just doesn't feel inclusive. It doesn't feel supportive. I've always used we, even in my private practice, this is before like YouTube existed for me, but I've always said we, and part of that was, again, so another reason is because in therapy, I feel like we are in it together. I am working with you. We're, e we're working equally hard to get us to this goal for you, right? And so, you know, we makes it feel like more supported, more together, kind of like said, like we're not alone in what we feel. Yes, yes, yes. I feel like you and people and also calling people by like, you know, bipolar people, I'm sure I've probably said that at a time or two because I'm not perfect, but I just don't like that kind of labeling, identifying, like, it feels like blaming language to me. And it might be that I'm extra sensitive, but I just find that the more that I, through video especially, can help you know that you're not alone and that we are in it together, then the better job I'm doing. Because otherwise it can just feel, to me, just not good. I don't like it. And so that's really why. And we are a community and we are working together and we are going to figure this out. And so a lot of people are like, oh, do you have insert thing? I've talked about borderline personality disorder. Have you been traumatized? No, but that doesn't mean I can't seek to understand and feel like we are working on it. And, you know, I don't know, just more inclusive. I feel like it's just more compassionate. And so that's why I do it. And if you guys don't like it, you let me know. But as far as my patients have gone, told me and other viewers, it's actually a, a better, it's something that you like. So I don't know. But if you don't, then happy to try to adjust. I don't know if I can. It's kind of like part of my language now, but I do my best. So yeah, that's, that's why. And I like that your therapist does it too. I just, I just feel like it's a little bit nicer and more soft and yeah, not so separate. Like there's a wall between us. Like I'm better. I know better. I want it to be like, we're in the bunker together, figuring this out, you know? Okay. Question number seven. 
He says, hi, Katie. I have a bad habit of apologizing for everything. Join a club. For example, I've said sorry when my coworker bumped into a bookcase and I witnessed it. <laughs> and I've tried replacing it with thank you, but it didn't stick at all. I'm also very sorry when people say that they're having a bad day or an event or event. That's fair. You're just being empathic. I use it as a default for almost everything, like to start a sentence or if I feel I'm not explaining something right. So I find this word a struggle to get rid of and saying it, blah, blah, blah. Sorry. So I find this word a struggle to get rid of saying as much as I do. Any advice on how to stop using it so much? Okay, I have a tough time with this too. So in a way, it's like the blind leading the blind, but I've been in therapy about this for a long time. So I will tell you what I know, okay? And there was a comment actually, before I get into that, there was a comment that I hadn't, again, I hadn't thought about it this way before. So you guys are awesome. Someone said that they feel like it's a crutch word. So in the English language, there are a lot of crutch words. I struggle with using those when I am communicating with you guys in video form and Sean will be like, oh, you continue to say so or um, or things like that, right? And we have these words that we lean on to start a sentence because it helps us feel like, I'm not sure where this is going to go. So let's move on to this. You know, it's it's a uh, I'm a transition word and I don't know what else to use. And we all have them and it's totally normal. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying that we all have crutch words and crutch words exist in every language. And a lot of people in the comments said that those of you who speak Spanish, sorry is like common, like you use it all the time. And I didn't know lo siento was like something that people say. I didn't notice that as much when I, I mean, I studied in Costa Rica in 2006, so it's been a while. But Long story short, didn't think about it that way. So it could just be that. It could just be a crutch word that you're using because you don't even really feel sorry. And it's just like a so or a um or any of those types of words. Got it? Now, for me, now I'm going to try to, I'm, I don't usually make things personal, but when it comes to this, because I've been working on it in therapy so long, mine comes out of lack of confidence and feeling like I'm in the way. So for me, I see, so. For me, I will apologize, like, same as you. See someone hurt them, uh, someone run into something, and they're, like, kind of next to me, but I'm not even in the way, and they didn't even bump into me. They bumped into something on their own, and I'm like, oh, sorry. What? Why? My reasoning in my mind, which I've come to find out in therapy, is because I felt like I was in the way enough that they had to move in that, you know, that far away from me, and then they ran into that thing. Therefore, I feel like I'm to blame. And I know that's kind of weird and maybe fucked up, and you're like, Katie, what? I don't even think that way. That's the way my brain works. And so I over apologize in general because I can't, it's really difficult for me to just take up space and be unapologetic about it. I know. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody, but that's what it is, is that I always feel like I'm the one to blame. I'm the one not doing it right. I I shouldn't be here or I shouldn't be taking up this space or I don't want someone to think that I'm being rude or I'm so concerned a about what people think about me and b about how I'm engaging in the world that I just apologize all the time. And so part of my work has been recognizing when I'm doing it and what I'm actually trying to communicate with it, which has been a lot of journaling for me because I can't do it in in person. It's too hard like you said I keep going back to it. It didn't stick. For me, it's been more helpful to figure out what it is I was trying to communicate or what it is that I'm trying to say by saying sorry and then working on my own confidence. And I know it may be surprising that I'm telling you I'm not confident, but it's there's a difference between feeling confident in my career, or my ability to talk to people. Also, you're guy, I just feel like I know you guys and we've been talking forever. So I just, it, I don't know. But there, there's a whole nother part of it where it's like, no, I deserve to be here just as much as that person does. I'm not in the way I'm doing what they would be doing. If I ran into someone doing the same thing I'm doing, would I think that they were taking up too much space or being rude or in the way? You know what I mean? There's all these, and I have to run my brain through that exercise to recognize the fact that no, I don't need to apologize because I'm not being hurtful or rude. No one's going to think that I'm not being compassionate or caring for other people in this space. It, I know this sounds very time consuming and very, you know, it's a lot of work and it is, and I'm sorry, but that, that's been my experience. So those are my thoughts about it is figuring out, you know, maybe it comes out of just a crutch word. Maybe it's just something that you say. We all get caught up in that where we, and sometimes even if I'll have a new word that I've stumbled upon that I like the way it sounds, let's say I haven't used the word 
empathy for a while. And then for a long time, I can be talking about empathy, right? We all do stuff like that. That's very normal. And the so's and the ums and the, all that stuff. That's very normal. And maybe sorry, it's just one of those. But for me, it was more about being able to be in the world and not having to apologize for it. I know that's so much like deeper and probably really annoying, but that was my experience. And so I had to figure out what it was I was trying to communicate with the sorry, which was like, I just want to disappear. Maybe I shouldn't even be here. You know, who knows? Um, And then me trying to, again, like my video I put out about building confidence is like building mastery in certain things. So reading a lot, doing a lot of research that helps me feel better and feel more confident in what I do. And then also me checking in on my friends and relationships and putting effort into that, then will prevent me from apologizing to them about things because I know I've done my part. Does that make sense? It's like, what do you feel responsible for? Is it reasonable? Is that something you want to keep doing? And if so, then let's do that thing. And hopefully that'll take away that incessant urge to apologize. And yeah, and then just boundaries. Boundaries. I know that's a lot. I'm sorry. See, there it is. I was waiting for it. I knew it was going to come. Can't help it. But I think it just, it, for me, it comes out of that and like the confidence level. And so if you can kind of maybe dig into that and see what comes up for you, that was really helpful for me, figuring out what it was I was trying to apologize for or what I was trying to communicate with that. Because like people, for instance, the example they give is instead of saying, sorry, I'm late, the then you should say, thank you for waiting. And I, it doesn't work for me because it doesn't fill, it doesn't scratch the itch the same, right? Like I can say, thank you for waiting, but I would also like to apologize for making them wait. So I'd like to say, because I did do something, right? So I'd say, I'm so sorry I'm late and thank you so much for waiting. That would be a, a more Katie response. And so don't think that you can't apologize when something has happened, but there are times like same as you when I haven't done anything and I'm apologizing. And so it's like, what am I trying to communicate? And in my case, it was, I'm taking up too much space and I don't know why I feel that way, but that's how I feel, right? And just acknowledging that and then figuring out and maybe talking yourself through, like I talked about that little chain of like, no, I have every right to be here just as much as them and I'm not actually being rude and I didn't do anything hurtful, you know, talking yourself out of it. We kind of have to check our facts. I hope that that helps. It's something I still work on. Don't be so hard on yourself because it's like, I remember so clearly, you guys, I played softball forever like all through up until I went to college. And then I even got a scholarship to play at Central, Central Washington University. And I didn't take it. And because I, I didn't want to play sports in college, I wanted to go to school. And so I remember I was on this competitive team, this travel team. And my coach, Steve was like, he was frustrated with me for something. I don't remember what it was like, oh, you should have followed through. You didn't, you know, you didn't run your hardest for that. Or who knows it was sports. God only knows. And I I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I, I tried to do my best and I got really upset about it, right? I don't deal with criticism very well. I'm better now. But when I was a kid, it was horrible. It was like devastating to me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he's like, you don't need to apologize. You need to do better next time. I was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, stop saying sorry. And I couldn't. I was like, sorry, I said, I'm saying sorry. It was like spinning out of control. And my dad was like, okay, Katie, like, let's go over here. <laughs> so it was, I remember that. And that will always be like this, like, oh my God, it was like so difficult for me to stop. And so I just tell you that to have a little compassion for yourself, because it, it's not really about the saying, sorry, it's about you and how you're feeling and what you're going through and dealing with. So, okay, moving on. I could talk about that a long time, obviously. Question number eight says, hi, Katie, I've noticed I've become so awkward in casual small talks. I've stumbled with words much worse than I did before. And I don't even want to get in conversations with anybody else than my boyfriend and family these days. feels like I can't be bothered. Could this be a consequence of 10 month COVID lockdown? Thanks for all that you do. Yes. Oh my God, my anxious patients are having a really tough time because once we've gone into hiding, then we only have to engage with the people that we feel comfortable around and yay, we don't have to struggle but we will when we come out, right? And life doesn't stay in quarantine, hopefully forever. So yes, this could be a consequence of lockdown. The real way to break through it is honestly to keep doing it. It's okay to stumble with words. It's okay to feel awkward. It's okay to feel anxious. What helped you before? Was it just repetition? Then gotta keep doing it. Or was it that maybe we built it up in our body? We started feeling the anxiety. Oh my God, I'm going outside. Oh, I'm going to talk to people. And then we're already overwhelmed. Are there things we can do to calm our system down ahead of time? 
Does bringing a supportive person when we're going to have a casual conversation, does that help? You know, just considering what worked in the past, what could work now, and maybe, you know, if we can just push through and keep doing it, because the more we do something, it's really that inaction set. We're out of practice. Like, I'm not going to lie. I am sure all of us, once things are like, let's say, you know, we, we go to sleep tonight and we wake up, the COVID-19 is gone and we're supposed to go about our regular life. It's going to be a little weird. Um, and people get close to me in line at the grocery store. I'm going to be like, huh, excuse me. You know, it's going to be, it's weird. And we're in this very strange interaction with other people in our space. And it's been held like that for so long that it's going to take a little time to kind of work out of our system, but we have to just keep doing it because the thing about anxiety or even like phobias and panic attacks and all the stuff that kind of comes along with anxiety or can come along with an anxiety disorder is that the more we prove to our system that it's okay, right? Like I talked to this person, I stumbled on my words. Did I die from it? No. Was it kind of embarrassing? Yeah. Did the person seem nice anyway? Yeah. Okay you know, then we move on, we do it again, we are proving to our system that it's okay, that there's nothing really to be anxious about, because all of our worry thoughts have been well, not all but maybe half have been proven wrong, because we have these facts. And so the more we just keep doing it and doing it, and doing it, the better we will feel and the, the less awkward we will get. But also just know, like, so many people, I would say at least half the people are feeling the same way. It's weird. And it's not normal. And we're used to so much more social interaction. So this, you know, just know that it's okay. I feel you. I hear you. We're in it together. Okay. Moving on to question number nine. It says, hi, Katie. How can I keep trying when every time I try, things get immediately harder? I've been battling anxiety, depression, and my social anxiety for so long. I don't remember a time without it. That's very common. I take my medication, I go to therapy, but it takes so much effort to even try. I just get pushed back down even farther. How am I supposed to believe that it will get better? Because every time I start to believe in it, even a little, things really do just get worse. My first thought when I read this, and also someone left in the comments, like if I was just going to, I don't know what the word they use, but it was essentially hoping that I wouldn't minimize this or be like, it will get better. Just trust in the process. You guys know me. Hopefully you don't think I give that kind of bullshit response because my first thought to this was, I think you need different medication or a higher dose and potentially more therapy. Because if we're feeling worse, if we're trying, right, you're doing, you're taking medication, you're going to therapy, you're fucking trying, and it's getting worse. That is not what should be happening. What should be happening is it's hard and it's exhausting. And maybe I'm overwhelmed sometimes, but overall, I'm making progress. So I would talk to your therapist about this, let them know you know, I'm trying, I'm fucking working my ass off and I still feel worse. And then I don't even have energy to try again. It's like, I just feel like I'm just getting beat up and finding myself farther backwards. So tell them, tell your psychiatrist or whoever prescribes your medication, let them know because so often they just think, oh, well, they didn't come back and they said their side effects were fine. So that must be a good medication for them. It's not always the case. I have so many patients that have had to have, you know, be on multiple medications or, you know, increasing the dose of one or there's all sorts of different variations and things that could work for you. So give it an opportunity to work. Talk to your doctor and let them know because really that's not what's supposed to happen. And then on the therapy side, and I don't know if you'll have the energy to do this. That's why I'm mentioning medication and stuff and more therapy, like going twice a week or having check-ins or something, or maybe group therapy. That could be a possibility. There's, uh, depending on, I don't know if they have depression, anxiety, or social anxiety. They do a lot of trauma, eating disorders, self-injury stuff, but hopeforrecovery.org is a great organization that has free group therapy, wonderful people. Can't recommend them enough. Um, but going to group therapy could be another support too, if you you know, strapped for cash, like most of us are. And, but then the therapist in me is like, notice your thoughts about things, right? If we're letting our anxiety, our worry thoughts run away with things, can we do some thought stopping? Can we play it out? You know, are there tools? I have a ton of videos. I would encourage you to get on my channel, my regular YouTube channel, and just put in Katie Morton anxiety, see what comes up see what videos speak to you. I have some on social anxiety. You can check those out and try some of those tools. See what helps you because there are things we can do to help our anxiety feel better. Like 
thought stop, distract, like those coping skills. I have that video, 25 coping skills. That could be something. Um, But also just playing it out till the end. Sometimes it's in the worry that we live when if we actually thought it through, I guess that, that that's not that bad. You know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm just giving you an example. You could check your facts. There's a lot of different things that we can do with when it comes to our thoughts and our feelings about our thoughts to kind of circumvent that and stop this, you know, horrible cycle we feel caught in. But I really do think there's something to the medication and the amount of therapy and support you're getting because you shouldn't be feeling worse. You should be feeling better. And I'm so sorry that you're feeling worse. And we all know that that unfortunately sometimes happens and it can take us a little while to get things moving and it's okay. It doesn't mean all hope is lost. It just means we need a little bit more support or a little different help. And so hopefully that just gives you a little extra oomph, a little hope in the future, because it, it, with the right help, you guys, it can and will get better. We just have to figure out what that is for us, right? We're just like fine tuning it. You know, it's like when you're in on a road trip back in the day and you don't have, you know, Sirius XM or it's not plugged into your phone, you'd be like looking for the radio station and be like, and it comes in slowly. We're just trying to find that exact. So it's as clear as possible. That's what we're trying to do. And it just takes a little fine tuning. Okay. Moving on to our final question, question number 10. It says, what would you say if a client asked what you think of them? Would uh, would you answer or ask why they want to know? I always worry about what people think of me. I always assume that people think badly of me, even when there's no evidence. It was funny because you kind of answer, the person who asked this question kind of answered it for themselves. Because if someone asked me what I think of them as a therapist, I mean, if, because it says it was a client. So if my patient asked me what I thought of them, my response would be, that's interesting. Do you do you think that I have bad thoughts about you or, or think poorly of you? Uh, why is it important for you to know what I think of you? I'd be very curious about this because it really comes out of our own self-confidence. We're looking outward for appreciation or acceptance or maybe validation in some way, which I'm not saying that these things are bad. I'm just saying that that shouldn't be When we tend to really care and worry a lot about how other people think, it means the confidence and the assurance is not coming from within. So we're looking outwards to try to fill that void. Spoilers, we can't. Trust me, as someone who works on my own self-confidence all the time, we cannot fill it. No, there's no number of times a person can tell me that I did a good job and I will accept that and say, yes, I did do a good job. Internal Katie mind will be like, but you did this. I don't know if do you, I don't even remember what I said in that talk and I probably really fucked it up, right? negate, 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 shit talk, shit talk, shit talk. That was really hard to say. Shit talk, shit talk, shit talk. Wow. Um, anyways, I know that that happens internally. And so what I would really encourage you to do if this is something you struggle with is go back and watch my video about building your self-confidence. I think it was called how to feel better about yourself. It came out like a month ago and I talk about building mastery, getting really good at something anything, something that you enjoy doing, let's do it more. Let's get better at it. You have a recipe that you like to make. Let's like fine tune that. Let's do some of that. Um, Because the therapist in me is like, I'm curious, you know, why you'd want to know. And I probably would never answer and tell you because I don't want to give you that information. I want you to come up with it yourself, if that makes sense. And I would want you to be able to tell me what you think I think of you. I know that sounds so crazy and you're like, God, therapists are so annoying. Well, it's because if I just answered and said, oh, I think you're wonderful and amazing. A, you probably wouldn't believe me. And B, it doesn't actually get to the root of where this is coming from. This is a symptom of something, right? I'm. It's like I'm plucking an apple off of a tree, but the problem is down in the roots and I have to figure out why this apple isn't quite right, right? I got to get in there. And so if I just pluck the apple and run away, I'm like, perfect. That would be me giving you that answer it doesn't solve it. So it's still going to happen. Then you're going to need to ask another person, another person, another person, and look for all this validation. And there's never enough. And the therapist, as a therapist, it's our priority to help you understand why. We're trying to answer the question why, always, without asking it directly, right? I'm not going to say, why do you want to know exactly? I'd say, I'm curious. It's interesting. What would it mean to you, you know, if I did tell you? Or what would it mean if I, if I thought you were amazing? What would it mean if I didn't think you were so amazing? How would you internalize that? What what would be the weight of that, you know? And just trying to figure that out will give us more information. And a lot of it just comes from that self-confidence and that talk, that conversation that we're having with ourselves all the time. And so if we can try to move those things into a more positive direction, instead of shit talking ourselves and thinking nobody likes us or we're not doing a good enough job, 
let's challenge that a little bit. Let's get in there. Let's maybe think of a more balanced thought where it's like, you know, I actually I am pretty good at my job or I am doing okay at school, you know, because I did get decent grades or I did, you know, get the job. So they gave it to me because they clearly thought I could do it. You know, let's check those facts and be more balanced. And it's possible that, that I am liked by people. I'm open to that or I'm hopeful that that will happen. What can we do there? I think that is where you will find more of that, like, I don't know, internal confidence that can't be filled with other people's appreciation or other people's validation. And also just, I know you already know this, but maybe you don't. It's normal to need other support, validation, attention, love, compassion. Just like I was saying earlier, it's very normal for us to need that. Don't feel like, you know, something's wrong with you because you need it. Everybody does, but we also have to have it coming from inside. And so putting some time and effort into that inside internal dialogue and that important conversation seriously, just coming from someone who's doing the work and trying to get better, it changes your life. And it changes the way you interact with other people and what you'll tolerate. Over the years, as I've been working on this in therapy, and trying to be more confident and not as apologetic, some friendships have fallen apart, because I think they expected me to always be the one to apologize. And they never do. And then I realized it because I'm doing this work and like trying to figure out these conversations, how to have them and not be that one. And so some things will reveal themselves to you and you might be shocked, but also, you know, it's good to know, right? We try to get to be better versions of ourselves. And sometimes you have to drop, you know, dead weight along the way. It's like people who aren't helping, they're only pulling you down. So you got this, keep working through it, keep doing your best, keep managing those thoughts and not letting all that self-doubt to spend so much time in your head because it doesn't deserve to be there. We have to check those facts and we have to challenge those thoughts and make them a little bit more balanced. You got this. And that's it for today, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all of your wonderful questions. As always, super helpful, super great. All the comments back on the questions were wonderful and educational and informational for me. So thank you. Uh, I will see you guys next week. Uh, Don't forget to ask your questions on Monday. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Talk to you soon. Bye. Or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always